As we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't want to be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And we know that will only happen if you soften and change our hearts. And so we pray this morning, morning you would move us and challenge us. Make us the people who do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take a seat. One of the questions we ask when we move into a new area is, what are the neighbours like? Are they young? Are they old? Do they have noisy children? Do they keep chickens? Have they got a dog? Have they got a camper van? They're going to park outside my house. A few things strike fear into the heart of a Westbridge Fordian as much as the news that their nice neighbours are moving. Who is going to move in their place? Jesus has an encounter with a lawyer, an expert in the law, and the lawyer asks this question, who is my neighbour? It's a good question. And of course, it's a question that Jesus doesn't answer. Or rather, he doesn't give a straight answer, but he does what he so often does, which is answer a straight question with a story, with a parable. And it's a parable with a sting in the tail, and it's a parable which in turn asks a question of those who hear it. And the question Jesus asks is this, what kind of neighbour are you? The lawyer asks, who is my neighbour? And Jesus in return asks, what kind of neighbour are you? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask uh, today, because we live in an increasingly diverse and pluralistic society. Modern Britain is made up of many different communities, many different neighbourhoods. People with different values often live uh, side by side. Aside from all the sporting stuff we've had uh, going on this week, uh, two stories have dominated the headlines. We've had the funeral for drummer Lee Rigby and all the questions that raises about the nature of our society. We've had the rioting in Northern Ireland. Flowing from a decision from the Parades Commission not to allow a march of the Orange Order to pass by the shops of their Catholic neighbours. Right decision, wrong decision, I I don't know. But I do know at the heart of that problem is a question of what it means to be good neighbours to people who are different to you. So Jesus is asked, who is my neighbour? And the answer he gives is, what kind of neighbour are you? And he gives it in the form of a story, a story with which we are all very familiar. An Anglican uh, theologian called Stephen Sizer who has a lot of experience of modern Israel and the situation of the Palestinians there, has looked at this parable. He says that the heart to understanding this parable is to reflect on the attitude of the hearts of the different men who encounter uh, the, the poor man on the road. He suggests we can look at it in the following way. 
the first who encounter the man, uh, who encounter the man on the road from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho are the thieves, the robbers. What do they see when they see this man walking along the road? Well, they don't see a neighbour. In fact, they see somebody they could exploit. They see a victim. They don't mind what happens to him as long as they get that which they wanted. Their philosophy is, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. The scriptures teach us to love people and to use things. To love people and to use things. The thieves have it the wrong way around. They love things, the possessions the man has, and they use him to get them. Few of us, I'm sure, would beat up a stranger and leave them by the side of the road. But there are many other forms of exploitation. All of us at different times can be tempted to use others to get our way. We can become experts in manipulating people and situations, getting others to do what we want them to do, getting them to give us that which we need, a sense of affirmation, a sense of self-worth. We can be tempted to exploit others, to get them to give us their time, their money, their attention. A victim to exploit. By contrast, Jesus never exploits anyone. In fact, Jesus always gives more back than he asks for. He always leaves a person in better shape than he finds them. He's a guest at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. There's only wine to drink, and there's only water to drink, and Jesus generously turns it into the finest wine. He's on a grassy hillside, and crowds are gathered around him, and they have nothing to eat. And Jesus turns a few loaves and fishes into basketfuls of food, all to the glory of God. Jesus is generous. Jesus is giving. Jesus is extravagant. The robbers, by contrast, see only a victim to exploit. They leave him naked by the side of the road. And next come along the priest and the Levite. Let's take these two together. What do they see when they see a naked man by the side of the road? What's going on in their hearts? Well, they, they see a nuisance to be avoided, an entanglement to escape from. Jericho was a priestly city. It was a, the place where the, uh, the families connected with the temple lived. It had a warm, mild climate all year round. By contrast, uh, Jerusalem was hot and dry in the summer, uh, cold in the winter. Well, be that the priest is returning home. He's probably riding. He'd be a member of the well off class. A Levite is following uh, close behind, a member of the same uh, community. And as they travel along, separately but probably close together, they see a naked man by the side of the road. 
Why does the priest pass by? Well, he faces a dilemma. His faith forbade him to go within four meters of a dead person. He'd then become defiled and would no longer be able to carry out his priestly duties. His peers would have applauded him uh, for not stopping uh, by a dead body at the side of the road. We don't know if that's what was going on. I mean, it's just a story. It's not a real uh, encounter. But what would a priest do in that situation? Maybe he thought, I can't stop. But there's a Levite not far behind. He can deal with this sort of thing. I'm not allowed to get involved. I need to keep away from this entanglement. This is a nuisance to be uh, avoided. Uh, But the Levite, that man a few miles back, he will see and he will help. So he carries on his way. And then the Levite comes along. And he too sees a body by the side of the road. And he too risks becoming entangled. And he thinks, well, the priest passed by. The holy man walked by. The expert in the law, he uh, passed by. Why should I stop? Why should I get involved? Why should I get entangled? You and I can always find somebody else to point to as a reason for not getting involved. We can all all easily see uh, people in need as nuisances to be avoided. We wouldn't quite put it like that, I'm sure, but that's the reality of the situation. We can point to others who've not done their part and ask, well, why uh, should I? The question Jesus asks is not, what kind of neighbour are they? But what kind of neighbour are you? Thank God he doesn't see you as a nuisance to be avoided. Then we come to the innkeeper. I've never really given the innkeeper much thought. He almost comes across as a kind of add-on to the story. But again, Sizer is helpful uh, in thinking through what the innkeeper might be doing. How does the innkeeper view the man who's brought to his inn? Perhaps he sees him as a customer to be uh, served, as a client to be looked after. We don't know, and the innkeeper's not the main point of the story, but it's, it's interesting. He accepts the money, he takes the coins. Uh, He's paid to look after the man, and he does his bit. Jesus calls us to more than this. He calls us to see those in need as more than service users or customers. He calls us to see them as made in the image of God, as higher than the angels, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it. And often that image can be hard to see. Sometimes the experience of, uh, of life uh, defaced that image in us. 
It can be hidden. It can be disguised. But if we look for it, we will see it. I think the temptation to see those in need as customers, as clients, and perhaps not as people, is a temptation that's particularly common to those of us who are professional do-gooders, if you like. That's what my father calls me. To vicars, to teachers, to social workers, to doctors, to nurses. We're called to more than just looking after service users. Greater love has no one than this, said Jesus, that he lay down his life for his friends. He calls us to do the same. Which brings us to the Samaritan. What does he see? Not a victim to be exploited. Not a nuisance to be avoided. Not a customer to be served. He sees a neighbour to love. Students of the Bible are familiar of the enmity between Jews and Samaritans. Two communities living side by side, uh, marked by mutual fear and loathing. A hostility then as raw as that which we've seen on the streets of Belfast uh, this week, often simmering under the surface. How will this outsider see one of them and react? Well, firstly, he shows compassion. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, one of the things you could miss in this story is that there's consequences from the man being naked and half dead. All of us are finely tuned to the cultural clues we give off about who we are and who other people are. The clothes we wear, the way our hair is cut, the accent we speak with. All of these tell us uh, and tell us about us where we've come from, perhaps where we are going. What you look like communicates something about you. But as the Samaritan is walking down the road, he has no clues to tell him who this man is. Could be a Jew, could be a Samaritan, could be a neighbour, might not be a neighbour. He's just a naked man. Has no clothes, no cultural signifiers. He's unconscious, he can't speak, he has no accent. We can't tell which part of town he is from. And yet his heart is simply to have compassion. He took pity on him. The same phrasing is used in the Gospels to describe Jesus when he's ministering. In stories of his healing, in stories of uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, we're told time and again that Jesus had compassion upon them. Or he was filled with compassion. The Samaritan is moved, first of all, by the plight of this man in need. But he's not just moved. He doesn't just have an emotional response. Uh, He does something. He takes the initiative, verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The Samaritan could have excused himself. He was a foreigner in a hostile country. He was alone and he was vulnerable. The robbers could still be around. But God's love does not look for excuses. And God's love looks beyond obstacles. God's love doesn't ask why, it asks why not. So the Samaritan uh, cleans the victim's wounds, he soothes them with oil, he uh, binds them up so that they might heal. Then he takes him to the inn where he might recover and he foots the bill himself. The Samaritan shows himself to be a good neighbor. So it is with Jesus, the ultimate good neighbor. In John's Gospel, we uh, read that the Word of God becomes flesh. And what does the Word made flesh do? He comes and tabernacles amongst us, literally comes and pitches his tent uh, beside us, comes and dwells in our midst, moves into our neighborhood gets involved, gets entangled, plays his part. And he bears the cost. Verse 35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He interrupts his schedule to help this man. May have made him late for a business appointment. Could have meant he missed out on seeing his children or his family. But he bears the cost. There's no gain for him. There's no reward. There's no cheering crowd. There's no uh, increase in popularity. He just does the right thing. He loves his neighbor as himself. He bears the cost. And of course, again, Jesus is the prime example of this. He bears the cost of our healing, of our salvation, of our forgiveness, of us being made whole. Isaiah the prophet writes, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And he calls us to follow him, walking the way of the Good Samaritan. He calls us to be good neighbours as he is a good neighbour to us. To us. Who are naked. Who are poor. Who are blind. Who the scriptures tell us are dead in our sins. Who are like a poor man by the side of the road. Jesus comes as the ultimate good Samaritan. By his stripes we are healed. He picks us up. He forgives us. He restores us. He calls us to follow him. And in doing that, to be good neighbours to others. Who is my neighbour? Asks the lawyer. What kind of neighbour are you? Asks Jesus. What kind of neighbour is Jesus? 
And what kind of neighbor do you aspire to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his love and his grace, his mercy lavished so richly upon us. We thank you that he came and dwelt among us, did not leave us, uh, did not abandon us, but calls us his own. Help us to take up our cross and follow him, to be the neighbours you call us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.